You are now listening to FemRegard Podcast with Tessa Markle and Carolina Alvarez. Mmm, Fem. Hi, Fem fam. Welcome back to another amazing episode from FemRegard Podcast. Uh, we're your hosts, if you haven't heard, Carolina <laughs> and, Tessa. and Tessa in the house. <laughs> um, yeah, we are already off to a great start this season, and we have been continuously getting amazing, incredible guests from Michael Weesey Productions, who are leading industry experts as directors or cinematographers, and we got another one today. Her name is Jacqueline Frost. She is a cinematographer. She has worked in the industry for over 30 years. She's been a college professor at uh, California State Fullerton, and now she is at Fairleigh Dickinson University. Shout out, Jersey. Um, But she wrote this book, Cinematography for Directors, A Guide for Creative Collaboration, it is the essential handbook for directors and aspiring filmmakers, shout out them fam, yes. who want to get the best visuals for their films while, establ- while establishing a collaborative relationship with their cinematographer, which is key, as we know. And it is the only book that focuses exclusively on the relationship between the director and the cinematographer. And so you'll get to hear more about how that relationship works and her experience in the industry in this interview. But what we can already see that we love is that there's actually like a handbook in that book of like how to go through things. Yeah. And it's really, really helpful for people that, you know, don't know much about like camera stuff, you know, and how to frame things and why you frame things a certain way and all of that stuff. Like it's just, it really just lays it out in layman's terms, super simple, explains things so that anybody can understand. Yeah. So as always, um, we're going to do a book giveaway with this one and we, um, are so excited to share. So we really hope you guys enjoy. And here's Jacqueline. To start off, we just want to highlight you a little bit in your background for our listeners and get a sense of who you are. Who I am. Well, as a young undergrad, let's say, I started studying. I was a fine arts major. Mm-hmm. And I okay. bolted from New Jersey and I hit Florida. So I was a fine arts major <laughs> in Florida. And I wound up at the University of Florida in Gainesville where I studied uh, photography. Okay. And okay. a lot of art history along with studio classes. I had no idea that ultimately this is prepping me for what has become <laughs> something that I've utilized for the rest of my career. The knowledge of art, the knowledge of, of painting, of the knowledge of color and all of that. So then on top of that, I my senior year, I took a film history class and I fell in love with it. I just like, I always loved movies, you know, I used to come home from school and watch the 430 movie and, you know, ask my mom, who's this one? Who's that one? You know, I was always into movies. <laughs> so I was sort of self-educating. And then I took that class and it just, you know, it made it all come together. And I realized that I wanted to do film, study film, learn more. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I bounced around a little bit. I started off at NYU, but then I ended up in San Francisco 
Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> and it was a really great time to be in San Francisco studying film. Mm -hmm. I was at San Francisco State in the early 80s and um, 83 to 87-ish, you know? Mm -hmm. So at that, yeah. point, at that time and place, the place was brand new to me. So every, my senses were really attuned to the vibe mm -hmm. of the place. Yeah. And that's where I really became interested in shooting. Um, Cause I shot something for my own projects and oh, that looked good, will you shoot mine? And then it was, will you shoot mine, will you shoot mine? So I wound up shooting a lot of people's short films, experimental films, documentaries, mm -hmm. and I'm talking on film, celluloid. Mm -hmm. So all oh. over the city, all over the East, wow. just shooting, you know, 16 millimeter film with a Airy BL 16 or CP 16 or whatever we had access yeah. to. Um, a Claire wow. VR camera I don't really like, um, but a lot of 16, a lot of shooting. And then from there, it was sort of also the culmination of studies and practice, like doing production, but also learning a lot. You know, I studied yeah. with um, Trin Min Ha, who's a documentary ethnographic filmmaker who's a genius. Um, I took cinematography with Babette Mangold, who shot for Yvonne Rayner and um, did a lot of experimental films. And she inspired me with a film she did called The Sky on Location, which was uh, all the desert. And it really didn't have any actors. It was just really about light and the tone and the mood of the desert. Mm. So mm. she inspired my thesis film to be something that I did, which was about the sea and me. So it was kind of the East Coast, West Coast comparison thing and realizing uh -huh. the West Coast, the Pacific, the edges, the rough seas and all of that as a metaphor of the uncertain future. And I used home movies from our family archive of East Coast vacation. Oh my God. So that's a girl that LVI trip every summer. <laughs> I hear you. Well, you got it. I have to tell you this. I'm sorry. I was a lifeguard in Ship Bottom on the beach. Oh my God. <laughs> Ship Bottom was the other spot we literally went to every summer. I'm dead. I may have rescued you. I, you know, you never know. <laughs> Okay, yeah, so that just, that though makes so much sense to me having been raised in Jersey too and like understanding it's it's so different and that nostalgic, yeah, home feel of yeah. that beach yes. versus what I hear feel out here is, it is different, yeah. completely San Francisco different. San with the fog and the cliffs. Yeah. The cliffs, insane. So. Yeah, oh my gosh, so. and I love that. <laughs> so you made, this was your thesis. That was for... one of my thesis films. Okay. So then, okay. um, I kind of also, I was shooting for people, but then I, I really did like teaching. Mm -hmm. um, and so I went back to, I went to Florida again and I was trying to freelance, but it wasn't really happening there mm -hmm. at that time. So I took a yeah. teaching job in Oklahoma and I made some films there because Oklahoma was such a weird ass place for me. Yeah, I was gonna say that's a very random location to go <laughs> to next. Like, she then went. <laughs> I was like, I'm out of water, flopping <laughs> in the, you know, it was just, so. Um, no, I love this. I love this. This is amazing. Okay, so you're in Oklahoma now. So cool. I was there for more than I wanted to be, which was four years, but I was doing film there and I was teaching film there. And it was really kind of interesting to, um, you know, be teaching like these okie kids film, yeah. you know. And um, after that, I, I went back to Miami and I, got another degree in film but I really focused on the business aspects of it and then a, a colleague of mine we decided to make an independent feature film so then we started fundraising and I DP'd the film and um 
co-produced with her. And, and that kind of went on the independent track and I was shooting for a while. And then, you know, it was hard in Miami because I didn't really speak Spanish well enough to get by. And it was becoming more and more independent stuff, Spanish speaking productions and whatnot. Yeah. Well, I took a job in California because it was close to LA and um, went out there. And I really had a great experience, not only teaching, but getting in with people at the ASC, getting in with UCLA um, in ways I never thought I'd be able to. So. I started teaching at the UCLA Extension, a course called Cinematography for Directors. Yeah. It was a weekend workshop. I had students like Christine Lottie. Um, I had Bryce Dallas Howard. Um, these were students in yeah. the class, you know, and wow, cool. And a lot. So cool. <laughs> You're teaching them. You're giving them the tool. That's amazing. And so inspiring yes. actors, you know, and actresses, like people who want to know more about the technical aspects, but it seemed yeah. overwhelming and intense to them. And I seem to be able to speak both languages, to be able to bridge the connection between the technical yeah. and the aesthetic and, and also make it understandable. Mm -hmm. yeah to people who were like what is depths of field f stops you know characters to curve i don't want to hear these things and you know you already lost us <laughs> absolutely that's no i'm so excited to like kind of get into that language aspect because it can be really daunting for a new director yeah. to like go into that space where okay now i get to have a dp or like you know like an actual cinematographer work with me how do we make you know, my vision come to life. And I think a lot of listeners on our show are like actors first who are stepping into producing and directing and it's a whole nother animal. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And it shouldn't be an intimidating thing because once you understand what a DP really wants, you know, it's not hard to ask for that. Mm -hmm. So what got me on this, then that yeah. and I decided to write the book, the first edition of cinematography for directors that came out in 2009. And I thought, well, let me, I was teaching cinematography and I was bringing mm -hmm. students to the ASC clubhouse, you know, for like field trip where they could meet and have a dialogue mm -hmm. with working cinematographers. I would go to Cine Gear Expo and I would go to all the workshops and I got to know ASC members. Mm -hmm. So, um, ah. so then I started to interview people at first who just would be interested in talking to me. I was like, will you talk to me about, you know, yeah. Uh, Nancy Schreiber, of course, who now we're really good friends. Um, she was one of the early people uh, that we started a dialogue. And then I started thinking, well, I want to contact DPs that I'm admiring of their work. I like, I, I'm, I'm a fan of their work. Right. So let me just reach out and see who responds. So I wrote letters to John Seal, Dante Spinotti, uh, Seamus McGarvey, Roger Deakins, all these people. Yeah. And they started to respond. He said, sure, I'd love to speak with you. And I was like, holy moly. So sitting <laughs> down and having a dialogue with these ASC top-notch A-list cinematographers, and I was able to actually understand what they were saying yeah. and, um, and ask them intelligent questions. And I would have like anywhere from one and a half to sometimes a three hour conversation. It was like a masterclass in cinematography. It was fantastic. So I transcribed them, the first interviews myself, and then I, I had them transcribed. But going through that, you learn so much too. Yeah. Um, so I had all these interviews and, um, 
And then I kind of like stalled out for a little while and I was, you know, doing other things. And then I came back to it and I did another book, which is an interview book on top of cinematography for directors, second edition. Okay. Okay. Because in between the first and, and the second, the whole technology of shooting image capture changed. Yeah. So mm. book comes out <laughs> and then so does Alexa. And I'm like, oh, shit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Because nobody liked read that much, but everybody like loved right. Alexa. So um, yeah. I had focused on, you know, film completion more than digital. So I decided I let some time go by and it, the book was going along and I did more. And I kept collecting interviews, kept collecting, kept collecting. Smart. And, yeah. um, and then I started to focus more on the changes from film to digital technology, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. then it made a t- complete radical shift. So now I did keep um, film completion, but I pushed it back and I put digital in the forefront because the language changed, um, the whole technology and the way of working changed. And now young DPs shooting are like, ooh, film. Yeah. Like, like some weird ancient thing that that is all I really knew. Yeah. And I mean, it's like music, you know, when everybody was like, it was vinyl and then it was uh, tapes and then it was CDs and now it's vinyl again. And, you know, so yeah, same kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah. So it was like, okay, well, I understand because basically what they did is they took all the concepts of film real and, and how, you know, not, not only just nonlinear editing systems, but also image capture, understanding depth of field and all, and they put it into a digital camera. So in a sense, in these digital cameras, you have every film stock you want, you have filtration, yeah. you have the, um, the opportunity to really open up and, and shoot in low light situations. Yeah. So it did get better and the image quality is amazing, but there's still something special about film and there always will be um, to me. Yeah. I love shooting Super 16 um, with, you know, you just slap that magazine. It's just something that's very primal. Yeah. <laughs> But um, I'm sure all of our DP listeners right now are nodding. Like, yes, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. We love it. I mean, even yeah. us, like from like non-camera operating side, like just seeing yeah. something on film, it's like, oh, there's something special about it, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you think about how it sort of transforms, because, you know, you're looking at digital assist and it's it's not really a waveform. It's not a monitor that's going to really show you what it's. It's just to show you approximately that you're, what your framing is, right? Mm-hmm. So when you get it back from the lab and we do, when you screen dailies on, it, it was fantastic. It was like such a, a rewarding experience and also relaxing to see everything looked really good. But just yeah. the way film would read color and light um, yeah. was, was slightly, it was different than the way you think is, is digital. You mm-hmm. know, there was that magical transference that made people look really good. And, you know, it had a beautiful, if you lit it a little warmer, a little softer, you know, you could take years off somebody's face. Yeah. Whereas with Nuts. the way digital is so crisp and hard right now, it's like, you want to filter it down. It's a little yeah. too crisp, a little too sharp. Do Which really like, it, all that? that blows my mind. And maybe it's just because I'm not like a super tech person, but I'm like, why are we developing this technology to make stuff so high definition that our eyeballs can't even like comprehend it? And on top of that, it makes people look awful because you see every wrinkle or mistake in their makeup or blemish or anything. Like it's kind of the opposite of what we want. And then, like you said, we end up like scaling it down and it's just like, what? why are we doing this? A lot of it is because of digital effects. 
It's mm. like the more sophisticated digital effects got, the easier it was to just keep everything in the digital realm. Yeah. And you know who was really a proponent who really kickstarted a lot of this was George Lucas. Mm. You know, he really would make sense. <laughs> that forward. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it makes sense. And and I and one of his buddies, Steven Spielberg, is one of the ones who held out the longest, not going to digital. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and he kept editing even on film as long as he possibly could. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it yeah. finally said, "We need to join the digital revolution now." And like, you know, shoot yeah. whatever else is shooting. But um, you know, it's it still has a nostalgic kind of, oh, shooting on film. You know, I know there's a lot of people who still really love it. And I know there's a lot oh, of yeah. DPs who want to have the opportunity to shoot it. Yeah, we have a ton of DP friends who do and like are going back to it and doing like little side projects. Like it, it every, I feel like a lot of, a lot of DPs love it still. And like, it's at their, the heart of what they enjoy to do. And the learning just, curve is, is like now, mm-hmm. if you know digital, and then all of a sudden now you have to get, got to get a light meter, you know, for your exposure. You have to load the film properly. You may have to make sure that the gate is clean. And then you have to, I mean, there's things that you have to do. Mm. You don't have to do digitally, yeah. you know, and then you have to get the film process and then the color timing lights and make sure your exposure is where it should be and picking the right stock and all of those things that became just second nature to DPs that were trained in that, you know? And when I talk about having every choice, like, you know, Kodak makes different film stocks and, the ironic yeah. thing about right at the height of the di- digital coming in and kind of taking over in 2009, 2008, that they came out with the whole Vision 3 stocks, which were the most beautiful film stocks they had ever made. Uh-huh. You know, the resolution was beautiful. Their color rendition was beautiful. The, you know, the speed, you know, it was 500T tungsten film was the fastest that they have. So when you think about shooting tungsten film at night, 500T, the speed of the film, it is basically, could be pushed, but you could take a digital camera out and you could set your ISO at easy 850, 1600 and beyond and still get a really quality image, which you couldn't do with film. Mm. So I remember when I talked to, I interviewed Polly Morgan and um, she was talking about shooting A Quiet Place 2 on film after mostly shooting digitally. And she was terrified of the night shoots yeah. using, you know, a 500 yeah. ISO stock because, you know, like, oh my God, am I gonna get an exposure? Is this gonna look okay? Is it gonna be muddy? Is it gonna be grainy? You know, it's this yeah. that you have to think about where, you know, with digital, you don't really have to think that much about it. Yeah. I think <laughs> so, that's something too, most, um, I was just gonna say really quick. I think that's something too, that people that um, don't, either don't shoot or even don't um, shoot like still photography, people that just aren't used to like what things look look like through a lens, um, don't realize that, you know, whether we're talking film or digital is that everything is different through a lens, you know, and something that the naked eye sees in a certain kind of light is going to look completely different on the screen, you know, and especially, of course, after editing and color correction, all that stuff. But like, it's just something to consider, I think, for like, especially filmmakers that are like brand new and, you know, they don't know that difference. Like, it's just, it's, it is such a difference. And it's just something to really be aware of if you are someone that, you know, is new to directing and maybe you don't know the camera stuff, like be aware of that kind of stuff because it can really make or break a of a film, you know, and make things look completely different. Yeah. And, you know, um, the thing with DPs too, is they don't, they don't, you know, they don't want a director to come in and tell them format to shoot on, you know? Yeah. 
they want to make that suggestion based on the material, the script. You know, they don't want to say, oh, hey, I have this read, you have to use it. It's going to turn off a DP, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so mm. you want to be careful too with like, you know, what you expect from your DP, how you treat your DP, the collaborative process. Um, you know, it's interesting now. I mean, I'll kind of jump back to it, but I'm teach, currently teaching a course I never taught before, nor did I ever take before, but I'm having a great time. with It's called the history of cinematography. Mm. So the history really is that, you know, back in the early development of cinema, they were cameramen. They were just camera operators. They were technicians and they saw themselves as technicians. As we developed through the history of, of film and cinema, that changed to being artists and collaborators. You know, so a, a, an experienced DP will happily work with a writer director who's fairly new to the craft um, because they know that they know the material, but they want to share their input. And I think that DPs are some of the most giving and sharing that you'll ever meet in the industry with each other, as well as the people they work with. Um, mm. I recently watched the ASC Awards Banquet streaming. Uh, you should check it out. It's on the ASC website. Okay. Okay. Because the- And for our listeners, I just want to point out that is the American Society of Cinematographers. Which is a wonderful um, organization. Uh, yeah. Well, that's So it's right there on their website? Yes. Right there on the okay. website. And we'll have to check it it's out. It's streaming. And yes, it's the first time that a woman DP won the Lifetime Achievement Award. And that was Ellen Koros who's worked with Scorsese and Scorsese leaves a nice message for her. And Rachel Morrison, the first woman to be nominated for an Academy Award, presented. It was awesome. I love that. It was really great. And I've interviewed both of them for my other book, which is called Conversations with Contemporary Cinematographers, The Eye Behind the Lens. Rutledge published that one. And what I did during COVID is that I just Again, the same way I'm going to reach out to people that I'm interested in and see if they'll talk to me. Mm-hmm. Well, because of COVID, they were home with nothing to do. So they did talk to me. Everybody talked to me. <laughs> That's like us <laughs> with the podcast, same thing. <laughs> Everybody talked to me. And I was just like, this is great. So I wound up doing this book that has more women DPs interviewed than men. I, I, I was that. going for a 50-50, but I think there's one extra woman on there. So Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Which that's is... That's- You know, it's, it's tough too. like, I mean, this goes across the board in the industry pretty much, but especially with a lot of like, um, gear centered jobs is that like, there's so many female DPs out there, but we don't really get to hear about them a lot because they aren't getting the same kind of opportunities, you know? So something like this is great. Like your book that has at least one more woman in it, you know, that it's like to show like, Hey, we're out well they're out here I shouldn't say we because I definitely don't know anything they're a part about of the conversation they're out here and you know they're yeah. getting it done and they're amazing and we just need to be a little better about finding them you know and there are more and more because of really the doors are being flung open for young female cinematographers now I wish I was 23 I wish I was starting now yeah, I would have gone a completely different direction. What I was, it was harder. I mean, I'm there on the age group with Alan Kuras and Amy Vincent. And, you know, it wasn't easy. You know, when you would stand there um, on set behind the camera, I remember somebody come up to me and asked if I was the talent. <laughs> I was literally standing behind the camera. Yeah. Why would I be the talent standing behind? I, was, I looked at them like, are you nuts? With a typical Jersey face, you know? <laughs> 
What, yes, what's fucking crazy? <laughs> like, do I look like no? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm wearing butt clothes. I'm behind the camera. I am obviously shooting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that doesn't surprise me. That but doesn't surprise me. Now it still happens hard. today. You know. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, we've had we've had some guests be candid with us on the show before, but. I do think there are more opportunities open, like you're saying, and that's that's really exciting. It is. And with all the women that I spoke with, you know, of this kind of the younger, newer generation that are, are coming up, they're in their they're in their early 40s. Um, I, I asked them to say, tell me about the experiences they've had. And some of them had some experience that were like pretty intense. Yeah. You know, yeah. The way they were treated on set, you know, the way things that they had to fight through still um, and moved on past it. You know, they all had a story. Yeah, mm-hmm. I believe that. Yeah, it's I'm, I feel for them, and and it's just sad, <laughs> just sad to hear that. Yeah. But but, but I have been teaching as many women as I can. I encourage. Yeah. I you know my my cinematography class did go from like having maybe out of 20, 25, maybe two women to then mm-hmm. there were maybe five, and then it started to be equal. You know, and I started to say that this is good. Yeah. You know, don't be afraid yes. of the technology. I love that. Yeah. No, I love that. And I just want to go back to um, another thing that I want to clarify between cinematographer and DP, because I think they, from my understanding, they are they are different, but they can at sometimes be the same person. They are right? the same person. They are literally the same person. It's an interchangeable word. Yes. Director of photography, um, DP, which people like to say because it's shorter than cinematographer. Right. Unless you're Vittorio Storaro and he would much prefer to be called a cinematographer than a DP. But it's he is a DP. (laughs) (laughs) Director of photography. So in essence, you are um, directing the whole camera crew. So there are DPs who... They work maybe multi-camera. So they have multi-camera operators. They work with a gaffer. They work with grip. Right. They work with best boys. They work with, you know, a whole crew. So they're managing that crew as well as being the liaison to the director um, with really cr- coming up with a visual exposition of the script itself, you know, and translating the director's vision technically onto the screen. So, right. No, I'm, I'm glad you made that clarification and distinction because on these more independent film sets, sometimes um, you don't have, I guess where my, my brain gets like confused is that the, sometimes the DP isn't the one actually physically shooting. They're watching because they're directing, like you said, literally all these other moving parts, but on a smaller set, you know, they, maybe there isn't that extra camera cinematographer is who I would like envision that being but it's really the same person and you would have like an AC or, you know, whoever's pulling focus. Right. So for smaller productions, I would get yeah. the title cinematographer. Okay. Yeah, I'm see, operating this... and I'm doing a lot of things. If I'm my own gaffer, you know, in a sense, or I'm doing a lot of things, then I, I am just basically the cinematographer. Like I do documentaries still now and, and I'm just cinematographer. Mm-hmm. I feel like director yeah. photography is, you know, you think about a bigger camera crew. Yeah, yeah, exa- exactly. So, um, but that makes that makes a lot of sense and why 
someone would choose to use a certain title mm-hmm. and depending on the set and the size yeah. of the project. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And something that I want to point out too, that you said earlier on that I think gave me some peace in, in moving forward with like, you know, speaking to different DPs and, and not getting so nervous about the language is like you said, they want to help and they, yes. they know that you might not know all these technical things. They know that you don't. <laughs> they know. They know that you don't. And so when you sit down and you're like, hey, this is my vision, I've like feel like then that job of knowing what lens and, you know, aperture and the light, like where it needs to be, that's that's on them. Like I feel like I I can do as much research as I want, but that is their role. And so I should not get so like tied up in all of that, if that makes sense. No, I think in terms of what a what a DP or a cinematographer expects from a director is that you have an understanding. The first conversation would be just the script, right? What, what right. are the thematic elements of the script? Because the thematic elements of the script are really what defines the color palette, mm-hmm. the lighting, the look, right? If it's right. comedy, it's going to look one way. If it's a drama, another, a horror, another, sci-fi, another, There's it depends, right? So you want to find the overall theme of the script itself. Right. And yeah. from that, you start to have a conversation. Well, okay, how do you see, how do you see it? What does it look like to you? You know, in terms mm-hmm. of color palette, is it a natural color palette? Is it a cool color palette? Is it warm? Is it a memory mixed with present? That's going to be two different color palettes intertwined. Yeah. Um, and then basically coming up with references, visual references. So today you can do a director's kind of lookbook. You could do a shot deck. Um, and come up with, I like this, I like this, I like this. And the DP will look at that and go, yeah, I get that. And I like this and this, what do you think of that? And you share that that vision with creative elements that there's nothing that tells a story better than images. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And we have such great resources today to pull from that it shouldn't feel like a scary thing. It should be exciting and creative. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is what I love. I love that part of like finding all the color palettes and connecting it to the emotional story. And like, yeah, like you said, what's reality? Maybe it's a dream that's going to change. So it's for me, it's like the really fun part. And like now even observing more Mm -hmm. like, you know, transitions and all of that. Cause I never had to hyper focus so much before till like now, <laughs> you know, and like really be like, okay, they're kind of doing this interesting zoom lens thing, you know, or it's, it's like, I can describe it. I might not know the proper, like technical, like, you know, mm-hmm. learning what a diopter is or like, you know, like all those things, <laughs> it can feel like a lot, but it gets, it gets exciting for your focus. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so that it's in focus when you shoot on film, but yeah, um, you know, understanding a little bit about like focal length. That is something I would teach um, in the cinematographer because I think lens power, you can empower yourself by understanding lenses, right? What does a wide angle lens give you versus a normal lens versus a telephoto lens, a prime versus a zoom, okay? There's things you can do on a zoom you can't do on a prime, right? Right. Like zoom in, zoom out, dolly back, zoom in, that whole kind of good fellas shot. Um, But a wide angle lens and understanding that it's gonna give you a wide perspective that goes beyond the way we see. You know, so it's going to really give you a sense of presence in the scene, mm-hmm. but also it can distort 
So mm -hmm. if, if it's a horror type thing, maybe you want to distort with a wide angle lens. Maybe you want yeah. somebody to be closer and have their features pulled out a little bit. Tessa, I'm taking notes. Okay, <laughs> so we like the wide angle. You're describing exactly what I need. But that's ex like that's a conversation that I feel like, yeah, like you said, I, that's research I can do to empower me. But like when you're describing that, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what I'm, I'm looking for, you know? Well, I think that's the thing too, just um, for directors to learn before they speak to a cinematographer is like, like you were saying, you don't have to know all the technical stuff by any means, but you do need to have an understanding of the basic terminology of, you know, tilting versus panning and simple stuff like that, as well as like you said, a basic understanding of not even, you know, and how to use the lenses or, you know, f-stops and all that sort of stuff. But just like this lens is going to produce this kind of look like stuff like that, because otherwise you're probably just going to waste time in your conversations with your cinematographer when they're trying to explain all this to you. So just, you know, it's, it behooves you to at least have a basic understanding of that stuff for sure. That's why I put that all in the book. Love it's that. <laughs> and, you know, I have chapters on lenses and I show examples, you know, of what a fisheye looks like versus a wide angle versus a normal versus a telephone, all of that. And oh, how they're effective in storytelling because they all have their own storytelling properties, right? If I really want to focus and create a beauty shot, I will use a longer lens like an 85 because the subject will be the only thing that's sharp and in focus. Background will be soft. It's the way it, it captures a person. It's very complimentary, right? Mm -hmm. If I want to do the exact opposite, I'll put on a wider angle lens. I'll push that camera in closer and I will distort the features and everything in the background will be kind of sharp too. And you're not quite sure what you're looking at if everything's in focus, you know? Right. So understanding right, right, right. the basic principles of that. And also um, it was Matthew Levitik when I spoke to him about um, working with Spike Lee and Darren Aronofsky and John Favreau. Um, early on, John Favreau didn't really understand the, the full concept he does now of depth of field. And, and, he, and he wanted something very, very tight. And he said, I want the eyeball in focus and the thing behind it. And Maddie said, well, you get one or the other because of depth of field, because I'm pushed in so much, I can't give you that. It's just lens proxemics will not allow me to have both. So pick an eye or an ear. Yeah. Like <laughs> we're going to be at 150 mil at 2.8. We don't have a lot of choice here. Understanding the concept of what depth of field is. Mm -hmm. I explained it all in the book as well. I've taught it for a thousand years. I've utilized it myself. I used to run around when I was shooting with my old American cinematographer's manual. I'd check the depth of field charts. I'd have a director who's nervous. Well, if we do this, is it going to be in focus? I'm like, yep, we're good. We're good yeah. to go. We're sure. Yep, we're good to go. I promise you it's that and that's probably helpful for you like as a I mean as a for you as a director to to be like okay like knowing what you want in focus something simple yes. as that yes. is like the thing you want to highlight because it could be an object that tells a part you know showing not telling a part of the story that you want to make sure it gets captured yep. or the person that you're highlighting you know yep. yeah so that's that's a really good point it because that's part of the storytelling Everywhere yeah. you point the lens, you're telling the audience, look here, this is important. Mm -hmm. So every, every piece of it is a piece of the puzzle, moving the story forward, right? Yeah. So it can't be random and arbitrary. Um, shots yeah. wouldn't be meandering. They would be really telling you, zoop, here, this is what's important. Look here. Oh, okay, there's a giant teacup in the shot. Why? Oh, because the poison is in it. Oh, I get it. 
Right. Right. Exactly. Did that. The biggest yes. thing yes. in the scene at the, you know, like, here's this big glass of water. <laughs> yeah. Bergman's passing out in the background. Well, because the poison is in that, right? Right. The amount of songs and sound effects on Jambox is insane. I can't believe these are almost all exclusive to their database. Plus, you can use the stems to make your own. So many resources. Uh, it's wild and affordable. For the kind of indie films we make, we're probably only ever going to pay between $9.99 and $19.99 a month. That's cheaper than a lot of music we've licensed in the past. And the composers that created this music work for huge studios and creators. We're talking directors like Scorsese and global brands like DJI. That's huge. <laughs> yep, that's how you know they're good. And because they love creators, they gave us a discount code to share with our fam. 10% off with code FEM10. Aw, how sweet. We love working with companies like Jambox that actually care and know what creators need. Connecting filmmakers with ridiculously good music and sound effects. So check out jambox.io and remember to use our code FEM10. That's F-E-M-M-E 10. It's so funny too, because stuff like that is so to just like the average audience, like movie watcher, it's subliminal, you know, like they don't think about that. But to all of us that are like filmmakers and we actually see all those little details, it's like, of course, there's there's a reason that we're looking at this cup or whatever, you know, and it's just, it's so funny how, you know, your brain changes when you are aware of those things. Yes, and everything, of course, about creating films is a manipulation, mm -hmm. everything, absolutely everything. So what, what you're looking at, what you're not looking at, what you're being shown, what's one of those huge long shot, all of these are storytelling devices. And so what I think also is, is one of the early conversations to have when you're developing a script and you're talking to your potential cinematographer about it, you know, they'll say, okay, past theme, what genre are we in here? Know what genre you're in specifically, you know, because mm -hmm. that dictates the way it's going to be lit. Mm -hmm. And then when you start to talk about focal length, you know, I see, you know, I want to be able to see, like, or it's Citizen Kane. I mean, the whole thing is, is deep focus for a reason. It's part of the story. It's part of the theme. You know, everything is in focus because he was trying to spend his whole life to fill a void that could never, that was taken away at childhood. Mm -hmm. So all these things he bought were part of that, you know, so they're all in focus. Yeah, you know? that's such a good point. And then camera angle. Why are we shooting low as opposed to why are we shooting down, right? Mm -hmm. So if you shoot mm -hmm. from a lower angle, what you're doing is empowering who you're shooting. You're making them seem bigger, right? So if you're trying to show yeah. that somebody is like, you know, dominating somebody else, you're going to shoot a little lower on them. Mm -hmm. You're going to shoot a little down on who. And when you go back and forth, they seem weak and small in the shot because you're shooting down on them as opposed to shooting up on them and empowering them, yeah. you know, showing a ceiling, you know, a low angle shot showing a ceiling is like saying you're so big, you fill the room, you know? Yeah. And if you want to be objective, something completely objective. So you're shooting more or less straight on, right. With a normal lens, which is like right. 50 millimeter. So you're not saying anything either way that you're being objective in the way you're recording that. Mm -hmm. so, no, that's, I, from what I'm hearing, like, I, I guess like three 
tips to our listeners on what they could start today to learn from your book and like just be a better um a better partner in this discussion with your dp is like knowing like terminology like lenses and and like shots the variation of shots um what like what are like some takeaways like i guess like that for our listeners basically to, like, each, after each chapter in the book i have a whole yeah. list of things that are oh, perfect <laughs> amazing <laughs> what a director should know bum 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 yeah. And it's all right there because there's a, it's a longer list. And, you know, if you're yeah. really going to focus on color palette, what a director could, should know, what a director can do, you know, and now it's like create a shot deck, share visual references, you know, whether it's screen films or whatever, watch this, I like this, watch this, I like this and get on the same page visually, right? So in terms of understanding lenses, I went through a whole bit, what a director could know, you know, and I show examples. It's really spelled out because I have been teaching on and off. I mean, for the better part of 30 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I know this shit inside out and it's, <laughs> it's yeah. like, you know, and I, I'm right now, you'll appreciate this. I'm a MFA um, cinematography mentor for a low residency program at Fairleigh Dickinson right here in the forum camp. Oh my God. I did Shakespeare and fairly did <laughs> Shakespeare summer camp. Um, oh my God, that is amazing. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm helping build their program and, you know, I'm still teaching uh, online in California, but it's more a visual aesthetics class, which is also an important thing to know is visual aesthetics. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm still doing that and completing a documentary, but it's like, I'm, it's still fun to be able to share all this because what else am I going to do with all this knowledge? <laughs> another book? I don't know. But, um, I have to no, that's amazing. I have yeah. one of the best uh, interviews with Ed Lockman at his loft in New York City on a Sunday afternoon, pre-COVID, right before he's in my book, Ed Lockman, who is also from Morristown, who shoots all Todd Haynes films. Um, Oh my God. You look him up on IMDb, you'll be like, mind blown of what he's done. So an amazingly intelligent man um, that I was just an absolute pleasure to talk to and talk with. And the fact that we had no problem understanding each other. I, I, you know, everything he, it was great. It was so great. And he, he said, well, anytime you want me to come to campus, just let me know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Girl, she <laughs> fairly is going to be very pleased if they have you. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. That's incredible. And I mean, like, we're, we're, mentorship is so important, you know, so I, I think that's really a beautiful thing that you are giving back with your knowledge. We, we love that. Yeah. <laughs> can use that. But yeah, that's amazing. It's like I've taken, I've never stopped learning cinematography. It's an ongoing thing. And I've always incorporated studies with as well. You know, I don't see yeah. myself as, you know, the PhD type. I'm not that type of person mm-hmm. because I am so technical as well. But I love understanding, you know, the history of things. Um the aesthetics, understanding how to incorporate that and, and bring it all yeah. together because that's where the best directing comes from. I used to teach directing too um, because of, yeah. I taught it from a cinematographer's perspective. I, I figured, yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. <laughs> what from a director day one of shooting? Where do I put the camera? You know, where, <laughs> where do we want the camera? What's the shot? Yeah. 
oh, okay, it's a wide shot. Great. You can go talk to your actors and let me light that for you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, that's that's so great. But it, this is kind of fun to like really get into the nitty gritty of like the shots and the kind of lenses maybe I want to work with. Right. Yeah. And why? You know. And why? And why? Yeah, because it's it's a psychological thriller. So so I psychologically need okay. to know what is being you know captured in those moments. To moments. Just saying that I just had a whole bunch of multitude of images came into my head. Psychological thriller. I know where you're going. You can have darker shadows, moody lighting. You're your color palette can be like bluish hues. It could be kind of creepy. Yeah. Yes. Our night today, right now, I imagine it very different because the day kind of is like very like uh, colorless. Almost. It's like hazy. Like it's very like hazy and neutral palettes. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for when it's the same color, but different shades like, uh, yeah, desaturated. Exactly. Monochromatic. Like, cause the clothing is kind of my, but then at the night and in the dream sequence, since we get a contrasting blue to purple reds kind of thing happening. Yep. And it's like, that's where like, you know, the horrors come out more so in, in that. Yeah. And so I'm very excited. I love it. <laughs> with that too, you can think about how movement will help tell the story. You know, there's so many types of devices that are so easy to work with now, you know, a little gimbal a Ronin S, something where you can just sort of float, where you don't need a steady cam because that'll do yeah. it for you. And it could be floaty shots. You know, somebody could be sitting there, but if it's a psychological thing, the camera could be going around them. You know, um, there's so many moving yeah. shots that can add to that. You know, um, have you seen a uh, fresh on HBO yet? No. Okay, it is a thriller. It's amazing. It's shot by Pavel. Pawlowski, I'm going to say his name wrong. He also DP'd Hereditary, uh -huh. another horror film I love. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and it's no shocker that I loved this film so much and the way it was shot. But I that one, I was really analyzing. And I'm going to watch again for the movement of it. I thought it was really like fluid and like kind of gave that, like I love movement in film and the way yeah. it was done was like, creepy and perfect so and just and, and the, just an edit yeah. it's on hulu not hbo okay thank yes. you <laughs> hulu. sorry hulu forgive me um yeah and it was a female director's first debut so you know support shout out <laughs> but it was and like also something else that i want to use the device and it was also done in this film which i'm excited to kind of relay this is an example i want to go share with my dp for example is like the definite the use of mirrors like they were shown everywhere um i envision that in my film too as a reflection to my character and how she is feeling about herself in different situations and then how it's reflected outward um so i'm i'm ex i saw like a use of that and it's it's trippy but there's a reason why you just feel like, oh, okay, like what's what's being reflected here? Right. That kind of stuff. So that's and perfect. I mean, if you have visual references that you can share with your DP, then the, the, they're just going to translate. I, I get it. Okay. Uh, how, and then they'll figure out how did you get that moving shot? Or oh, use a gimbal. What kind of gimbal? Oh, it's a jib. And they just fig will figure it out. I mean, really, just give them a direction to go in and they will go there because yeah it's like oh okay people did that to me early on it's like i wanted to look like this like, oh okay look like that yeah <laughs> the <laughs> possibilities are endless <laughs> just snap of a finger yeah yeah i got you i got you <laughs> as long as we get where you want we can deliver it you know what i mean 
if we don't understand, then we're just throwing things at you. Well, you want this, it's like throwing eggs at a wall. You know, what's going to stick? What do you, what do you want? If you say, I want this. Oh, okay. I can give you that. You know, yeah, it's really not a problem. No, that, and that's so helpful to hear. Like, you know, like find, you know, you know go watch films. <laughs> like I, I don't want it like my vision to be like, you know, you know, like just kind of an imprinted version of something else exactly. But I feel like I've done the development of my story so much that when I see something like that, I think it's fair enough to be like, yeah, I want, I want that. <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's there. What? And now let's tell it in my story. Yeah, well, if that makes all sense. different references. And then you can go to shot deck and look at images that, you know, for color palette or type of angles or things like that. And just kind of put something together it it just helps so much and in terms of do you if you don't have a dp yet but you're looking to acquire dp sit down with people look at their reels but also just get a sense intuitively of how you like you feel like you could work with them like yeah want to have yeah. a connection with somebody if somebody is irritating you from the first 10 minutes that's not somebody you want to be on set with for 12 hours right especially in such a close relationship too yes you want yeah. somebody that you feel comfortable with that you feel like you know that's your right-hand person. That's somebody you look to when you do kind of derail a little bit. Well, what do you think? Should we do that again? Or should we go wider? DP's right there looking and going, yeah, let's do it again a little tighter this time. Okay, good to go. Yeah. That is really helpful. Yeah, and I, I think uh, we encourage everyone who is on that journey to do that. Yeah, absolutely. With, I say that with everybody that you want to have put in your trench and go to war with. Like you want like... I, I'd say that like everyone sit down, talk to make sure they're like that kind of compatibility. But I think with the DP, like they're legit, like your right hand person. Yeah. <laughs> like they, that the relationship needs to be a marriage of, of all sorts. Never feel intimidated or bullied yeah. by your DP ever. Yeah. Never, never. You should feel oh. comfortable and that they trust, you trust, there's a mutual trust there, um, a bond. So you shouldn't feel like, oh my God, I'm afraid to talk to my DP. There used to be stories of that in the day where, you know, the yeah. scary person behind the camera that you don't want to piss off, you know? <laughs> yeah. But it's not like that. It's, it should never be. It like. should not be like that. No, I, I'm glad you bring that up. It, absolutely not. I couldn't imagine doing a film with someone that I like that. I'd be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> it makes you feel dumb. It was like, right. they help you. Mm. They're helping you to pull the, the vision out of your head. Yeah. You know, it's like, tell me what you want. Okay. Something like this, something like this. And that's where the references come in, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm not trying to promote, but I do think that the book, I tried to put in everything I've been teaching yeah. all these years in there so that it's right there written and you can go to page 232 or whatever and go, that's what I got to do. Okay. I get it. Yeah. You know? I love that. No, yeah. And especially that you, like you said, you'd like, you list out things like you're very specific of all of that. So it's, it's not only a good book to like read and digest the first time, but it's a good reference book to have as well. It sounds like. It is. And yeah. this, this new edition that I did, when you do a second edition, lots of times you don't do a lot of difference. I gutted it. Yeah. It basically <laughs> rewrote the book. It, ha it should have another title. <laughs> 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 well because things have changed and like you know so much over the years with like we were just talking about in the beginning of this episode with the technology so that totally makes sense and that how cool because you still are using everything you've learned over the years and now even more so with like the new adaption of, of tech and yeah. all of that so that's 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 
I mean, for our listeners who who didn't read like your first edition, it's like awesome to know that it's not just this tweaked version. Mm-hmm. It is literally so relevant to today. <laughs> There's new interviews that are with um, cinematographers that I talked to afterwards because I kept, like I said, collecting those interviews. Yeah. <clears throat> More women cinematographers in there. Um, every I've got at least six or seven different cinematographers who I quote throughout each chapter that they're taking, talking about their experiences with things, you know? Um, yeah. They like to work with a director and that's, I, I talked to Rodrigo Prieto, what a wonderful cinematographer. He works with Martin Scorsese now. I spoke with him several times and he is one charming person, I'll tell you, but also um, <laughs> a genius of cinematography. Yeah. I mean, and so willing to share. Yeah. Um, Maddie Le- And those too. interviews are included in the book you were saying? Clip excerpts. Excerpts. And that's so beautiful because like, yeah, you're taking these raw conversations you're having that most people don't get to sit down and chat. Yeah. It's wonderful. But the the conversations were so good. That's why I did the full interview books. So that one is conversations with contemporary cinematographers, the eye behind the lens. Then I have the full interviews with everybody I talk to. Pictures, many pictures and examples, storyboard shot lists, all the things that you- Can you, can you show, hold up? Maybe I'll, I'll cut this this part for like a reel or something. Can you show up an example of the photo, of the photo examples, like page um, of like the lenses? Let's see. Oh, of the lenses? Yeah. Cause I have a whole color section here with- Or color, whatever you want. Yeah. yeah. Like that's perfect. So you get the the framing shot and yes, yeah, so this is all about yeah. color palette. Um, oh my gosh, amazing! Varieties of color palettes. Love it. Yes. And so of course it was also fun to go through you know all these films for frame grabs of things, and then I I I pulled from lots of times from quotes where a DP I interviewed was talking about a certain film and what they did to create that look or why they created right. that look yeah. or whatever. Um, and then I do have a whole section about art and visual references um, because that goes back to what I was saying in the beginning. So I have Rembrandt's in here. Awesome. Um, that I love, but they right. also have- From the painting. Doing a yeah. horror film, you could do this. Right, right. <laughs> Right, with the light, like studying like how the light and the dark shadows work and contrasting. Yeah. yeah. Because when I teach lighting, it's about, okay, what, you know, where's the light coming from, right? Yeah. Is it a motivated source light or is it an unmotivated source light? If it's motivated, it's coming from a window, it's coming from a lamp, it's coming from fire, whatever, right? Yeah. yeah. If it's unmotivated because it's sci-fi or something else, it could be coming from a floor, it could be so many things. Um, but a single source light creates a lot of shadow. And the only way you fill in that shadow is with an additional light, fill light, right? So um, chiaroscuro is a style of Italian painting that is very, very high contrast, mm-hmm. very dramatic. So a Rembrandt, a Caravaggio, all of those are chiaroscuro. And so they have a lot of contrast, which is a great reference for dramas, for psychological thrillers, for things like that. And they're beautiful paintings because they tell a story in and of themselves. Yeah. Right. That's an early reference of, you know, you could go to still photography, you could go to paintings, books of paintings. You know, when they did Road to Perdition, Sam Mendes, who was a theater director, he went to, Edward Hopper paintings for a visual reference to share with Conrad Hall. Yeah. And so many references like that are discussed throughout, you know, yeah. um, that's, that are truly used. 
you know? Yeah. That's such a cool thing to be able to do that. Yeah. (laughs) And my background helped me understand a lot of that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Well, I don't want to give too much away to our listeners. I want them to read the book. (laughs) So on that note, um, to wrap up, where can our listeners find you? And, you know, since you have several books, I'm assuming you have a website, something like that, social media, anything like that that you would like to share? I need to work on that. (laughs) (laughs) Right now, this, of course, is on the Michael Weesey website. Okay, perfect. um, MWP.com. Amazon carries a book as well. But I do have to create a, if I ever get my shit together, really, I have to create a website and and a whole thing where people can ask me questions and I can, I would love to do that. I just haven't had the time to, you know, pull that together. Um, Well, keep us posted because we will absolutely share with our audience when you are ready and launched. Absolutely. It's on my list. And the... I can just quickly share with you the people I talked with for the interview book is Maurice Alberti, um, John Bailey, Robert Ellswit, Kirsten Johnson, who's a documentary filmmaker recently in the ASC, Kira Kelly, uh, recently in the ASC, um, Ellen Kouras, Edward Lockman, Matthew Levitique, John Lindley just won Lifetime, uh, what would he won the President's Award mm. um, at the ASC, Seamus McGarvey, Reed Morano, who's also directing, Holly Morgan, Rachel Morrison, who's also directing, Rodrigo Prieto, Cynthia Pushek, shot a lot of beautiful television, Harris Savidi's passed away, but I got one of his last interviews, Nancy Schreiber, who just is shooting endlessly, John Seal, Australian cinematographer I love from the 80s and 90s, Sandy Sissel, Dante Spinotti, Salvador Titino, Amy Vincent, and Mandy Walker. That's amazing. That's so many people. <laughs> That's so exciting. That's- that is so exciting. And like, yeah, what a treasure for you to share with everyone. Yeah. So. Rutledge. So Focal Press. Amazing. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. We'll put it in the show notes of where to find yeah. these books and, you know, all of these, <laughs> these gems. But uh, thank you so much for coming on today and speaking about it. And we've learned a little bit more about communication and how to better, you know, empower ourselves yeah. as directors speaking to DPs. So that's, I'm, I really feel like our, our audience will benefit from that today too as well. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to FemRegard Podcast. If you like what you hear, tune in every Friday for more tips on the filmmaking business and insightful conversations with industry professionals. We can only grow with your support. So please subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can also join the FemFam on Patreon. For more on us, check us out at FemRegard.com. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.